Welcome to I'd Rather Stay In with Megan Myers and Steffi Predmore. This week, we're chatting about preserving and celebrating your heritage with our special guest, Stephanie Cheeseman. Stay tuned. Do you love listening to I'd Rather Stay In and want to support the podcast? Well, now you can. Visit our website or the link in our Instagram profile and click buy me a coffee or visit buymeacoffee.com slash IRSI podcast. For the price of a cup of coffee, you can help us cover the costs of creating this podcast. There are no monthly memberships, and you can support us at whatever level you like, whenever you like. Whether you buy us one coffee, many coffees, or simply continue listening as always, we're so grateful for your support. Hello, Megan. Hi, Steffi. Uh, so the last couple of weeks at daycare, they've been doing a lot of, well, obviously last week was Earth Day, so they did a lot of Earth Day activities, and the week before, they were doing a lot of, like, gardening and, like, talking about plants and how plants grow and all of these things, and all of the kids had, like, a little seed that they, like, germinated in the window, and then they put all of the little germinated seeds in, um like little egg carton cups and with their names on them and then sent them home. So I currently have a little plant growing in a little egg carton cup in our kitchen windowsill. And I have no idea what the, what the hell it is. <laughs> it is a mystery <laughs> plant. I'm it's like, a, I looked at uh, Alex. I was like, what do we think this is? <laughs> I would say it is probably a bean <laughs> because yeah, like the, they grow the so fast. Seed, yeah. The seed looks beanish uh-huh and I'm like I, but I don't know like anything else so it's just growing <laughs> in the window because I don't want to throw it out you know you and I have talked about like if a thing is growing and I know it's not a weed I feel bad tossing it or like killing it in any way so right. her little plant is just growing I need to put it in a little pot or put it outside or do something with it but I have a mystery daycare plant in my window <laughs> Related, I found out the other day that in my son's class, they have been incubating chickens, and I didn't know. He only just told us, told me, uh, let's see, it's Wednesday. He, he told wouldn't me on, that information. He told me on Monday. He said, uh, the first chicken hatched, and I said, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> They've been doing that at daycare, too, except that's, like, the whole, like, the whole school the whole school daycare, yeah preschool thing yeah so it's like in the lobby they've had 12 little eggs incubating mm-hmm. and the first one hatched it hatched the other day right as I was picking her up and so we stopped and we watched it and it was like it had it was like mostly out of its shell but it was still like coming out of its little shell uh-huh. and she was like fascinated and then it chirped and it like scared kind her. of it, it like jolted and she was like ah! it, it was like wet and it had its like weird dinosaur feet and she like hit herself in my stomach and I was like okay when we come back tomorrow they'll be fluffy and cute yeah and so said, like she was she wasn't too traumatized because she was still talking about the baby chickens when we uh-huh. pulled out to the house but she was like ah dinosaur feet <laughs> yeah he said that they um I think they had 12 as well and so they had some eggs where they thought weren't going to hatch and one of them did hatch and I guess all but a couple hatched now so they're they have many chickens but he was telling me about the first one and he was telling me how noisy it was oh they are really noisy i've never it just peeped and peeped and peeped and peeped and peeped forever like just forever i'm like it must be very very disruptive to the classroom but it still seems very exciting i could not believe that he did not tell me they had chickens because i would have loved to hatch chickens in a classroom oh, when I was a kid. Totally. It's fa- I, I've never watched it. And so I was like, even after Eden was like kind of freaked out and burying her head in my stomach, I was like, no, we're going to stand here a couple more minutes because this is fascinating. I didn't realize how, <laughs> I also did not realize how loud they were when they hatch. So mm-hmm. also Alex was like, what, what do, what do they do with the chickens? And I was yes, like, that was my question too. I don't know. I assume, I mean, I would assume they know someone who like has like keeps chickens and they'll just go be like yard or farm chickens somewhere. According to my son, they go back to the place where the eggs came from and they will grow and become eaten. 
<laughs> I don't know if that's true, but this is the story that he's made up in his mind. That um, ha- is logical. Max, it is logical. Knowing Max, I'm not surprised that that was the turn that that story took. He's um, a very practical I, child. He is such a practical <laughs> child. I chose, even though Ian was not listening to this, Alex just had such a tender look on his little face when he said, what do they do with the chickens? That I said, you know, they probably go live on a farm or in somebody's yard for eggs. Alex, honey, you're a chef. I know. (laughs) I'm sure that he probably was thinking maybe they get eaten, but our little hearts just couldn't take it. So I just decided to go with the the farm answer. It worked for me. Adorable. (laughs) So anyway, I love I love the uh, tis, tis the season for chickens. My when my mom was growing up, they used to always get chicken eggs and duck eggs, um, and invariably some creature would like get half the chickens or half the ducks. But they did have several ducks that made it to adulthood. One of which hated my mom's older brother and would chase yeah. him around, and then they would yell. Her name was Ellen, and she would like chase my uncle like onto the like the counters, like the bathroom countertop. And he would, like, yell for my mom or my younger uncle. And one of them would come in and they'd go, Ellen, lay an egg, lay an egg, Ellen. And she would, like, squat like she was laying an egg. And then they could pick her up and, like, take her outside where she lived. So that's the story (laughs) of Ellen the duck. Uh, (laughs) An inside duck. Okay. Ellen the inside duck. Uh, It's, you know, it's whatever. Uh, my, (laughs) my, My mom grew up with a lot of creatures around the house. They rescued all sorts of things. So, you know, there you go. Um, wow. There's, there's that there is that little family history for you, which segs wonderfully into our topic for today. Good job, us. I know. Good job. From family recipes to holiday traditions and religious practices, there are so many ways that people all over the world connect with their heritage and ancestry. So to talk to us about why connecting with your heritage can be important and how it can turn into something bigger, we've invited Pisanka artist Stephanie Cheeseman to join us. Welcome, Steph. Hello. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us. Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Um, I am a third generation Ukrainian American, and I have been working hard lately um, to try to support Ukraine in everything that they are dealing with right now. Um, Pisinka has been part of my life, my entire life, and I have been trying to use what skill I have, though I am not an artist, I would say that I am average at best, um, to teach those around me about Ukrainian heritage and um, about this art specifically, um, to try to raise money for refugees and for um, some other organizations that are supporting Ukraine. Um, but I'm Ukrainian on my mother's side, and my grandfather grew up there, so I'm am in touch with some. Excuse me, I am in touch with some family who still lives in Ukraine. So that's kind of what's going on with me right now. Uh, so you know, tell us. Tell us a little bit more about your Ukrainian background and heritage and, and how that's important in your family. Um, so I've never been to Ukraine, but um, my family has kept the traditions alive very seriously, um, mostly through food and through some of like our decorations in our homes. And I grew up going to a church that spoke in uh, what's called Church Slavonic, Um, where it's mostly Slavic people who attend. Um, So it's been with me my my whole life, and it's always been seen as a very important thing to me and to my family, Um, despite me never having gone, and I don't speak Ukrainian either. um, But that doesn't seem to be quite like the the cornerstone aspect of it. It's more about family and connecting with family. Um, that keeps me connected to my Ukrainian heritage. You have been making pisanka for a long time. Can you explain what they are and their symbolism in Ukrainian culture? Yes. So there is a lot to say. Um, so <laughs> I will try to speak concisely um, and try to um, explain a very complicated thing in a you know, verbal way <laughs> without any visuals. Um, so hopefully it makes sense as I go. Um, but pisanka are Ukrainian Easter eggs. A pisanka is a single egg. Um, but they are 
a ancient art craft, or, or I'm sorry, art form um, that predate Christianity actually. And it is a uniquely Slavic way of doing things. And the version that I do is a uniquely Ukrainian um, way of decorating eggs. So they are highly ornate and they are made using a, the batik method. You may have heard that in relation to like fabrics, but it's um, essentially where you use a wax resist method. So like you start out with a, an egg, my sister has ducks, <laughs> as you were talking about earlier. <laughs> so my sister's been doing duck eggs this year. Um, but you start with a um, raw egg. Some people do blown eggs. It is a more traditional way to do a raw egg. So that's what I tend to do. It has a ton of symbolism associated with rebirth. So pre-Christianity, the raw egg was just associated with the rebirth of spring. Um, now that it is part of a Christian practice. It is considered like rebirth through Christ. So it is associated with Easter for that reason. Um, but so you start with your raw egg, your white egg, brown egg, whatever color egg it is, and you use beeswax to cover up portions of the egg in designs with a stylus called a kistka. And it's a little funnel on a piece of wood and you fill it up with melted beeswax that you melt in a candle and you cover up the designs that you want to cover. And then you go from lightest to darkest dyes. So when you've got your design that you want in a on your white egg, you would dye it yellow next. And whatever you cover up at that point will remain yellow. And then you move on to orange, red, and maybe you want your background color to be black. Those are very traditional colors that I just laid out. And so to have the black background, you then have an egg that's covered in wax. And the way that you see the design that you've made is you hold it up to a candle and you melt the wax and wipe it away and then you can see what you've made. So it's, it's a, a very contemplative practice. It's almost meditative when you get going um, into making an egg um, or really it's, it's writing an egg. The, the word that it comes from means to write. So you write on your egg and you create your design. And it is um, as though you are embedding it with good wishes and prayers. So pre-Christianity, they were referred to as like a talisman. And they were um, a bringer of good things. And it would be interpreted as, you know, like an, like a, a, an item that would bring you all of those good things. And in Christianity, um, the version of it is that it is like a well-wish and a prayer for the person that either keeps it themselves or gives it as a gift. Um, so I, I think you asked about some of the symbolism. So I, I, I'll go into kind of some of the, the common ones, but literally anything that goes on that egg has some sort of symbolism. Symbolism. Every color means something. Every combination of colors means something. The designs that you place on it means something. So like flowers, whether they look like a flower, like you would see on, you know, in a flower bed, or if they're a stylized version where it has very sharp points and almost looks like a star, they stand for beauty and for wisdom. Um, Wheat, if you were to put it on your egg, would mean um, prosperity, either a wish for prosperity or like a gift of prosperity to someone if you were to give it away. Uh, trees represent kind of like a tree of life kind of thing. So they are a wish for long life, good health. Um, and if you do bands around the egg, just like your wedding band has symbolism, it means basically the same thing. It is an eternity. Um, although with Christian ties, it also ties to like everlasting life. Um, and then, you know, color symbolism, some of them are very logical, like green, if you were to have a very green egg would be um, in reference to spring and to new life, um, whether you're talking about it in terms of new life in Christ or in a new life in the spring sense, although many people make these eggs all year long. Um, and then my favorite one that I always say to people who are just starting or don't feel comfortable doing Christian um, symbols, because you really don't have to, um, or if you, you know, don't don't feel that you are an expert artist, is that just combining four or more colors, no matter what you've put on that egg, is meant to bring joy, happiness, and prosperity. 
So those are those are my favorite symbols and those are the ones that I tend to do often. Um, but I, I really love the colored one because it seems very intimidating to do this art, but it really doesn't need to be. So even though the, obviously the designs can be very, very different from simple to very complex, like what is the average amount of time it takes to make one of these? Um, for, for me, I spend a couple hours per egg. So I'll put in time. It, partially it takes the time to, to do it well and to not, um, you know, have big blops of melted wax. Um, but also the, the planning of it and the way that it flows as you're um, writing on the egg. Or if you really want to think about what you're doing, many people will plan it and draw on their egg with pencil beforehand so that they know exactly what they're going to do. And then when you start talking about the people who do this professionally, they're spending, you know, if, if they're doing a large egg, like a goose egg or something like that, they could be spending like 20 hours on the one egg. You know, it, it, it can be very complex what some people do. But for me, I, I'm closer to like the two to three hours per egg. I love this idea that, uh, you know, like you said, that what that making these is very meditative and also, you know, the concept that it, that you're, you're putting your prayers and your well wishes into this egg. So like if you are making it for someone, you're spending that time thinking about them and, uh, praying for them. If, if you're a person of faith or, you know, putting all of your good wishes for them into this this egg and this gift like I think that's just such a beautiful concept um I mean as a crafter myself like when I make something for someone I'm thinking about that person as I'm making it um and so it's just it's such a beautiful concept that that is one of the biggest um you know sort of cornerstones of this art is the aspect of prayer and good wishes that go with it yeah, absolutely. And I, there's a legend that I would like to um, share with you all. Um, so I was taught this legend from my mother. She was taught the legend from her mother and she was taught by her grandmother. Like this has been passed along and there are, there are many different versions of it. Um, but this is the version that I know. So there is a legend that there is a monster chained to a faraway cliff who represents all evil in our world. How tight the chains hold that mar monster back on the cliff is entirely dependent on how many Pisanka are made. So each year, the number of Pisanka are counted. If there are too few that are made, the chains loosen and evil is free to spread across the world. But if enough are made, the chains tighten and hold evil off for another year. So what I've been telling the classes that I teach is this year, if this legend holds true, it is our job to make as many Pisanka as we can because there are so many people displaced or otherwise unable to make the eggs for themselves. And I know of several projects that are going on where the intent is to make these eggs as a prayer and encourage donations, but also that those eggs would then be given to some of the refugees. And I think that we're all in the, the Pizinka community and in Ukrainian communities all over the world trying to step up and not only explain that this is a unique culture, this is an important culture, this is an element of the culture that needs to be saved and preserved, um, but also that there is beauty even still and that we should be encouraging that and we should be trying to focus on the people. I love that. So, you know, let's dive right into that. Let's talk about, you know, you know, obviously this art form is so especially important to you right now following, you know, the Russian invasion of Ukraine. So let's let's talk some more about what you and the rest of the community are doing to teach others about your ancestry, this art form, uh, Ukraine's traditions and help all of the displaced Ukrainian people. Yes, yeah. So I think it's important to start with some history to understand why some of the folk arts are so prevalent and it's not just about um not just about 
money in action, which are obviously what we are all encouraging through our art. But um, this is not the first time that Russia and its various forms have imposed their will on Ukraine. There has been Russian imperialism and occupation under the USSR that have crushed Ukrainian culture in the past. During Soviet oppression, Ukrainians were not allowed to speak their own language. They were not allowed to celebrate their own traditions. Pisenko were banned because they were deemed religious and re religion was not allowed in the Soviet Union. People were killed, sent to remote places um, for, for speaking up or not speaking up or being connected with someone who spoke up. So all of these things were meant to be crushed out of Ukraine, but they survived anyway. And they survived in secret and they survived in Ukrainians who left Ukraine. And it's just an incredible thing that they've persevered and that Ukraine has persevered. And in these last 30 years since Ukraine, Ukraine um, gained its independence again, the folk arts and traditions have come back. And I know, I know that I'm feeling very much like, oh no, you know, I, I don't want these things to be lost. It's, it's my job to keep them alive. It's my job to, to share. It's my job to encourage people, you know? So it's, for me, what that's meant is I know how to do this. I have taught Pesenka for years. My mom taught many years before I did. I remember her teaching since I was a toddler. But it's always been, you know, a volunteer thing at church where we barely covered the cost to, um, to bring the supplies, right? We were charging people $2, just enough to pay for some eggs and beeswax and candles. You know, it, it wasn't a lot of money that we were talking about. But this year, I kind of changed what I was thinking. I sent the most rambling and incoherent email to the priest at my church um, on the, it must have been the 25th of February. And I said, I don't know what to do, but we have to do something. And I know how to do this. So can we make this work? And they have been just so supportive. So we had our first workshop with 26 people um, who came and made eggs and donated. And then we had a second one because that one was so successful. And I actually have two more planned because they have been so successful. And through that fundraiser, we've raised uh, $5,600 so far. So that's been really good. Um, and then we were also contacted by a um, company that wanted to sponsor the sale of Pisenka for um, raising money for Ukraine, raising money for Rosam of Ukraine, uh, or Rosam for Ukraine. Um, so we've been selling eggs there. Uh, we've mostly been doing local sales, but we just recently put up the ability to um, mail them. Uh, we've figured out how we're going to be able to mail them wherever in the U.S. And that's been wonderful. And I believe, um, let's see, we've raised over $3,000 for that one so far. And that's been, yeah, that one's been really cool because um, all of the eggs that have been sold through that fundraiser were made by me, my mom, my aunt, my sister, my cousins, all family. And that's been just incredible. One, that people like them. <laughs> and two, that people want to be involved with us. And it, it just makes me really proud to be part of my family and proud that I know how to do this. And that even though I'm third generation, they took the time to teach me. And it feels wonderful, and I'm sharing with my daughter now, you know, and it's just a, it's, it's one of those things that you think is so small until you start thinking of ways that you can have an impact. And most recently, um, I contacted Steffi because I know you've got your food blog, and we just had Easter, and food has been another huge way of been connecting with my Ukrainian roots, so I asked if she wanted to help me if you wanted to help me 
by um, sharing a recipe and um, holding a fundraiser with that. And I really hope that we're able to engage people, one, because Posca tastes amazing. And two... Yes. Can confirm. <laughs> it's incredible. <laughs> and, and two, you know, I, the goal is to, to continue having Ukraine and uh, Ukrainian culture and Ukrainian people in the front of people's minds. Because it's, it's hard to continue connecting when all you see are traumatic things. Yeah. You just want to turn it off, right? You, you don't want to watch the news anymore. You don't want to read about it anymore. And I understand that feeling, but it's real. And this is really happening. So how can we connect with people and how can we encourage them and help them to remember that these are real people who are being impacted? And food is a great way to me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Food is such a huge connector. It, it is. And I, I really enjoyed making that recipe and it is so delicious. Um, I actually, so we're going to link um, in the show notes and then on our Instagram, we will link all of these things. We will link to the egg fundraiser. We will link to the blog post. We will link to the, um, the Razum uh, for Ukraine fundraiser, like all of the things if you guys want to go check that out. Um, but, you know, if you like baking bread, you definitely need to make this recipe because it is so freaking good. Um, I, I have like, I have like half a loaf left. And I'm like, I think I might need to like turn it into like some like baked French toast. It's delicious. Um, but yeah, we will link to all of this because it's, I think it's such an interesting way to, um, not just raise funds, but also teach people about these traditions that they may or may not have known about. Um, like I, like I knew about um, Pasanka, but I didn't know all of the symbolism and all of the, like I knew. Obviously, I knew like they took a lot of care to make because they're eggs, but I didn't know like the emotional care that like went into them as well. And so that's been so fun for me to learn about. Um, and so, yeah. And also I think that like as a society, we have a really short attention span. And mm-hmm. so, you know, this, um, this war has been going on for a couple of months now. And I think that we sometimes we're like, Oh, like if it's not, if we are not Ukrainian or we don't have, friends or family that are being directly impacted sometimes you could be like oh that's still oh i forgot that's still going on so i think that these are great ways to remind people like yes this is still happening and even even afterwards like there's going to be so much um uh there's so much devastation and loss and these these refugees are going to need care and love and all of those things so i just i think what you're doing is really great Thank you. I, I, it feels so small, but I feel like I have to do something, you know, and this is something that brings me a lot of joy to share with people. And I, I love making these eggs. I love teaching about them. I love learning more. I, it's been really incredible. I've, because we had some attention, which I had never had before <laughs> about teaching, um, I made myself a Instagram where I just share about the eggs and fundraisers that I'm, um, the, the eggs that I'm making and the fundraisers that I'm participating in. And I've connected with so many people and I'm getting tips and I'm learning how to do two new techniques. And it, it's just, really cool and i thought that i would feel uncomfortable because i don't speak ukrainian but no one has made me feel that way and it's just been wonderful i've been asking questions and probably bothering this one person a whole lot Uh, but (laughs) she's been really wonderful and it's just incredible i can never do what some of these people are able to do with such humble tools right all you need is a candle some beeswax and a stylus that honestly you could figure out how to make without having to buy a specialized one and 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 just eggs and some dyes right and these people are able to make things on a curved surface that is not necessarily smooth that are just incredible and i'm over here you know just saying add more colors <laughs> <laughs> but 
yeah, it's a really amazing, uh, an amazing time, and and it's horrific and awful and joyful and community gathering all at the same time and the way that everyone's coming together to try to help is just inspiring i think it's interesting that you said you know you said that it feels so small what you're doing but no matter what like that is how things begin like you think you it it might feel small to you but you've raised a lot of money for basically one person doing something but and also you're teaching myself and Steffi about this and our listeners will learn about it and then they'll go tell other people and some of the coverage that you've gotten like people are learning about these things and that is how these art forms are passed down as well that's how we learn about other culture is through you know the the workings of possibly a single person yeah I mean and that's even like even, you know, I'm, in, like, traditional old societies when we all yeah. lived in a communal area, like, you'd learn from the artist or the storyteller. And I just, like, feel it's really beautiful to continue that on. Yeah. I am also, like, low-key mad that uh, we don't live closer to you because I know that Megan <laughs> and I would 100% be at your classes learning how Oh, absolutely. <laughs> right up our alley. I have no artistic ability, but I would be like, yes, I'm there. This is going to be so much fun. Well, so. I'm, I'm always exploring new ways to try to keep try to keep spreading about it and try to keep people interested and engaged. So maybe we can explore that, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so much so uh you know obviously you're taking an active role in teaching the next generation the art of pasanka and you're making your family's traditional recipes and so many more things why you know we've i guess we've sort of touched a little bit on this but why do you think it's important that we continue to pass down these types of traditions no matter what our cultural background may be obviously yours is ukrainian but you know, there are beautiful cultural traditions from all over the world. And why, why is it important to connect with them? I, I don't know if this directly answers your question, but I'm going to, um, I'm going to try my best. I think that it is vital that you understand your own traditions and those of people around you to help inspire empathy, help inspire understanding, help to become enriched in your own life with all the things that are similar. So these, even when you're just talking about these kinds of eggs, there are so many versions of them. They are different based on the region, even within Ukraine, what designs are traditional, what um, methods are traditional, what I do is a version that is very Ukrainian. It is from the region of Ukraine that my family is from. But there are also different methods. One is called the drop pull method, where you use essentially just a pin. I see people put a pin inside of a eraser on a pencil um, when they don't have the like fancy tool, the 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 specifically made tool to do it, and. Even that alone, right? It's the same idea, but it's different. It's a different slant on the same thing. And it's also something that could be very accessible if you knew about it. And I think that it's so interesting that some of the artists who make Pesinka now, who I've been engaging with and learning from, many of them are not Ukrainian. Many of them just in embraced this tradition as being interesting to them and something that they enjoy doing. And those people are engaged in supporting Ukraine just as much as those of us who have a more substantial tie to Ukraine in terms of family still living there or knowledge of um, a, I guess, genetic connection so to me, it doesn't necessarily matter where you're from, as long as you value it and you respect it and you acknowledge that it is important to the people who have been doing it for centuries, through their generations, learned it from their families. 
But I think you could say that of many different traditions, of many different cuisines, of many different things that you may not pay attention to unless you put a little effort in. But then if you do, it's so enriching. Does that make sense? I didn't really answer your question, but... No, you did. No, okay. Totally I didn't want to interrupt sense. you, so I wanted to make sure. <laughs> so you touched on some of the fundraisers that you're working on right now. What, what other workshops or fundraisers do you have coming up soon? So I've got two workshops coming up. One is Saturday, this coming Saturday, the 30th. And then I've got another one on the 13th of May. Um, that I think will probably be the last one because I haven't had, um, I haven't had enough interest to make another one. Although if people are interested, of course, I'm absolutely willing to continue teaching. Um, normally I don't teach outside of Lent, but this feels important. <laughs> so I'm yeah. going to keep going, you know? And then, um, I've been making eggs for... Give ALX Love to Send Love is the name that they're calling it, but it is um, the um, egg and floral um, fundraiser that I've been doing with a company in Alexandria, Virginia, where um, my family is making the eggs and we're providing them um, to this community in Alexandria, Virginia, where they're, they're selling eggs and floral arrangements with the eggs, if you so choose. Um, but now that we've started doing the shipping option, um, we're making more, people are requesting specific things, or we're just making eggs that we have available that we can um, sell. And everything in that and in the workshops has been donated by volunteers. Not a single penny is reimbursing anyone for their time or materials. Every single penny is going to um, the various fundraisers. So those are the two things that I'm really working on um, right now. Again, making an egg takes a long time, right? So um, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm always open to new ideas. I'm open to new ways that I can help. Um, especially after this last workshop happens, I'm going to be dedicating a lot of time to making eggs and hopefully continuing to raise money. Did I just sit here and order a custom egg? Yes, I did. Well, <laughs> on a very high shelf where neither the cats, toddlers, nor our cleaning people can get to it. Yes, it will be. <laughs> so actually, that actually makes me think of a question. So mm -hmm. you said that usually raw eggs are used. Yes, so that was the rub with getting the custom eggs that we could mail out. We were making right. them in a traditional way, and now we have um, flipped over to using blown eggs. Okay. So um, it's it's interesting. I've been do I am thirty two years old. I have been doing this since I was a toddler. I have never ever ever used a blown egg, and <laughs> I was scared because it does feel totally different in your hand, right? And I was like, am I going to be able to make straight lines? Am I going to break it? Am I going to mess it up? But again, talking with the people I've met, I have some new ways that I'm doing it where I feel way more comfortable. So um, I've successfully made, I think, six eggs that are blown so far. And then some of them I'm making raw and then blowing when they're done. So I'm so, em emptying it out after the um, egg is complete. So now when you, you know, traditionally when you're making them and you're making them with the raw eggs that are not blown, do you then always blow them out after or do they just sort of preserve themselves? Because I mean, you, you have eggs from years and years and years like from your whole family so mm -hmm. i i yeah let's circle Please back to, let's go back <laughs> to the beginning of the podcast and let's talk about that <laughs> oh it's so cool so you wouldn't think about it um but eggs are kind of their shells are kind of breathable so when you have a raw egg if you were to leave it out for about a year the insides dry up piled yeah. So uh, what we do is we put like a, a thin coat of, of varnish on it. Mm -hmm. 
so the varnish keeps the dye from it keeps the dye staying nice and the design staying nice and it protects the egg and gives it just a little bit of extra strength but it's not so thick that the egg can't dry still so it takes between like a year when i don't when i don't varnish it at all when i don't put any sort of shellac or coating on it at all it dries up within a year when i have a varnish on it it takes a little bit longer sometimes probably because i lay it on too quickly but um yeah it it like dries out so if you're very diligent about it my mom is much more diligent than i am if you rotate the egg over the year the yolk will dry in like a little ball inside of the egg <laughs> So you can, like, rattle it. Yeah, I don't do that. I am not. What I generally do is I pick my favorite side, and that's how I place it in, <laughs> so yeah. that the yolk dries on that side. And what it, it, it there used to be these toys that were weighted that when you put it down, it would like rock back and forth, but then would always uh -huh. land in the right. That's what happens with wobble. the eggs. Weebles wobble. Yes. Don't yes, fall yes. Down. Yep. <laughs> yes. Yes. So it does that. The, oh yolk, the yolk makes it do that. That is so cool. So then, <laughs> that, once you have them, like, how does your family usually display them? Do you have them in a basket? Do you put them in, like, a little special egg cup? Like, how are you? Uh... Well, it depends on, like, so my mom has a goose egg, I think it is, that was given as a gift to the family that my grandparents had. And that one is spectacular. And that one sits on an egg stand where it's displayed um, because it, it's it's gorgeous. The ones that I made growing up, you know, when I was like eight, those ones end up in a bowl. <laughs> right at the bottom of the bowl, you like stick them in the bottom, hide them. It's like the, it's like the Christmas ornaments that you made in school that you like mm -hmm. stick in the back of your parents' Christmas tree when you see them. You're like, mm -hmm. oh, I'm hiding that in the back. Okay. <laughs> But those ones that um, we we put out, I, I think most of mine I put away now because I have a toddler, and yeah. that just doesn't. Yeah, toddlers very and, and eggshells don't really mix very well and, well. and she knows what they are. I have taught her what what they are, and she knows the words, and she's made a couple herself. So of course that translates into oh, I'll hold it. So yes. we've had to have the conversation about, oh, no, you won't, many times. Um, so mine are mostly put away right now. But what I generally did is I would take a nice bowl. And um, because they're still eggs, they can, you know, explode. And it smells like rotten egg. You want to put it in a place that, these are, these are the raw eggs, not the blown ones. The blown ones don't have that risk. I mean, I don't think they do. I wouldn't think so. <laughs> I wouldn't think they do. Um, but we'll just put it on an open air shelf that doesn't get bright sunlight, and it's fine. Sure. And they're they're just fine there. Nothing happens, and you can see them. The colors do sometimes fade. So, like, my mom has one from when she was in high school that was blue and green. And they're, that one's pretty faded because she didn't varnish it and it's, you know, been around a long time and it's still just an egg. But that's one of the interesting things about um, how we know that Pisinka is an ancient tradition, too. Because eggs don't survive. They, you know, they, they, don't, they don't survive for centuries. We can keep them for a few generations, but, you know, it still takes a lot of care. But um, archaeologists have found fragments that indicate that this has been done for... A really long time and then there have also been the versions that have been you know copied onto clay or something like that it's very interesting that they've been around for a really long time and that there's evidence that they have been around for a really long time even in fragments of actual eggs that have been made so so they really last like you wouldn't believe right and so then you know when i'm making an egg and i do a bad job i always want to salvage it <laughs> And there are some things that, um, like, religiously go along with making the eggs, too. Generally, they are made during Lent, and so they go with your Easter basket and your Paschal basket, where you have your Pascha, and you have the meats that you'll be eating, and you have all of the things that, if you're traditionally Catholic or Orthodox, you have been fasting um, throughout Lent, that you now get to eat because it's Easter. 
and you get them blessed. So then a blessed egg, if something happens to it, is meant to be handled differently than um, just just an egg you would have. So a blessed egg would meant to be, you know, put into your garden as a well wish for your your um, plants and your harvest to do well and things like that. That even if it's cracked, you should be taking care of it because it is a blessed object that holds significant meaning and and holds that prayer that we were talking about earlier. And so it's it's really it's really cool how many layers to the to the symbolism to the the meaning behind everything associated with it that there are but again it's it's still a raw egg so still or, or it's a blown egg it's still an egg S- stuff happens sometimes right. <laughs> you know <laughs> oh my gosh this is amazing so how can our listeners connect with you and follow along with what you're doing so um i have an instagram Pissinka Steph, P-Y-S-A-N-K-Y-S-T-E-P-H, all one word. Um, or I have an email that also is pissinkasteph at gmail.com. And especially if you're in the Northern Virginia, D.C. area, you know, um, any workshops that I'm doing or, or fundraisers that I'm doing, I'm going to keep up on my link tree on um, my Instagram. But also I'm just sharing what I'm making if you're interested to see what I'm making. Awesome. Yeah, and we'll uh, we'll also include some photos of some of the eggs um, on our Instagram, so you guys can see, and then you can click over and and go follow her because the work is beautiful. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us and sharing about this wonderful tradition. I feel like I've learned so much. I feel like I yeah. talked a lot. No, you great. <laughs> amazing. We like to end each episode by sharing what has been bringing us joy. So, Steph, what is making you feel joyful these days? Um, I'm going to stay on theme, and it's not going to sound very positive, but I promise you it is a positive thing that is genuinely bringing me joy. Um, the urgency that my family and I have felt to find and help family in Ukraine that we really don't know very well has meant that I am now meeting my Ukrainian second cousins for the first time in my life over email, social media, video chats. I did not know most of them. I did not know their names. And it's just so cool to be engaging with them now and to be learning who they are and to be learning what we have in common. I've met one of my cousins who is a beautiful artist and it's just really, really cool to get to know them under horrible circumstances that I wish we had started sooner. That's amazing. That's awesome that you're getting to to make those connections. And uh, we talked about the internet on our last episode and how awesome it is for connecting people. And so that's fantastic that you're able to do that. I love it so much. Yeah, it's, I I mean, I could talk about that for a long time too. It's very cool. So, Steffi, what about you? Uh, the weather has finally started to warm up, and it's we've had some sunny days, knock on wood, and uh, we've been able to like actually get outside a little bit. Which you know, if, if the listeners have been around for a while, they know that I don't exactly spend a lot of time outside, <laughs> uh, but I have gotten a little bit of sunshine, so I'm not a complete vampire. Um, and yeah, it's been, uh, it's been nice to go outside and pull out the sidewalk chalk and, uh, Eden is fascinated with flowers right now. So she always wants to pick the flowers. And even though every single daffodil that she's looking at looks the same, she, you're like, okay, let's pick this flower. And she goes, no, not that one. And you're like, okay, which one? She's like, this one. Mm, okay. Yep. Mm-hmm, looks the exact same. Um, but yeah, this, it's been it's been really nice. They are uh, different. <laughs> they are. I mean, yes, they are different flowers. But you can be like, oh, you didn't want this this one, or like you'll pick one, and then she's like, no, never mind, not that one. I want this one over here. You're like, 
You are absolutely two years old. Um, so yeah, I would say I would say you should bring her around to my house, and she could see all my tulips, but then she would ravage them. So <laughs> she probably would. Yes, this is true. This is true. <laughs> um, although she's pretty good about not just like grabbing at them for the most part. She she does let us like pick them and then bring them inside. But yeah, you definitely they would be in your house instead of out in your yard. Yes, uh, I mean I want to pick them, but at the same time, then they would not be in my yard. So I'm really conflicted. It is. It's very conflicting. You're like, this is so. It's making my yard look so pretty. And then you're like, but I want my house to look pretty. But I want my yard to look pretty. It's, it's tough. <laughs> Maybe you can pick some before it storms this weekend, and that'll be a nice happy medium, so they don't get yeah. like wrecked by the storms. Good idea. Uh, what is bringing you joy, Megan? Uh, my joy is extremely frivolous. Um, it's fine. We live for that I, here. I went to Ulta the other day and bought myself some uh, ridiculous eyeliner. It um, looks great, by the way. <laughs> I I used to buy lots of different colors of eyeliner, and then I stopped, partially because I kind of stopped wearing eyeliner for a while, and then I was only wearing black, and then I was like, you know what? No. Like, it's cool to wear eyeliner again, like, for a while. I don't know if you remember, like, people weren't really wearing eyeliner, I guess. Yeah, it was like a whole thing. It was yes. a whole thing, and... I have always really liked it, and... Um, you do a good job with your eyeliner. I always feel like I do, like, a garbage job with mine, but... Yeah. I've been practicing. Um, I really and, and, like... and yours always stays really well. Like, it doesn't get, like, smudgy oh. under your eye. Because mine so, always gets, like, smudgy. So I... I, I don't know. Okay, so I like to use liquid eyeliner. I feel like it yeah, works I'm better. Yeah, terrible at that. Yeah. Um, but I... <laughs> when I got these... So I got two different colors. One's a liquid one, and one is a pencil. And I did one on top and one on the bottom. Mm-hmm. And first of all, my husband was like, why did you put on makeup? Because obviously I was like wearing my workout clothes and otherwise it's like <laughs> trash. And I was like, do I need a reason? I don't need a reason at all. Um, Bob. But it was fine for the whole day until I was making dinner at some, and I like rubbed my eye and it like, I ended up with blue streaked half across my face. <laughs> so it it's fine as long as you do not touch your eyes, which Fair. I am bad at. So Fair. Yeah. Fair. Uh, but I do well, recommend liquid eyeliner if you uh, are are bad at eyeliner. For some reason, I'm better at liquid than I am at pencil now. So I need to I need to practice with I need to practice with liquid liner more because I've never been very good at it. But yeah, it, it always looks so cute on you that it makes me want to it makes me want to try. So the only problem but, is that liquid only comes in a few colors. So That's there's true. not as many there's not as many colors available in liquid, um, but if you do love lots of crazy colors for eyeliner, I highly re- recommend Urban Decay. They have great. Oh pencils. yeah, they always have great stuff. Mm-hmm. They're, they're excellent. Yeah. So that silly little things making me happy. <laughs> I love it. Well, until next time, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and listen to us on your favorite platform. You can also follow us on social media at IRSI Podcast or send us an email at I'd Rather Stay in Podcast at gmail.com. We love to hear from our listeners. Bye.